rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. It is Thursday the 12th. Is that correct? It is the 12th, yes. right? It is the 12th. 13th. The 13th. 13th. See that? That's the power of teaming up with people. Today we have Elizabeth I'm, I'm Flood I'm not even looking at my show. phone. I'm like, yes, whatever you say, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, everyone. We have Judge Elizabeth Flood on the show with us today, helping us in many ways, even with the date. You are listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And we're glad to be joined by Elizabeth Flood today for our interview. Good morning. Thank you for All having right. me. Glad to have you. All claps are live until we get the clap button. You know how we do. Uh, we also have another special guest in the studio. We have Becca. Becca, what's up over there? Hey. All right, all right. Becca's here joining us and uh, sitting in and checking out the show. Have my co-host, Christine, the hostess with the mostest. And we have Hunter behind the boards, rocking and rolling, and JV, shout out. All right. So we have some news for you guys to talk about. We do have what seems to be an a cessation of the hubbub and violence in Chicago. There have been 73 total arrests. 13 officers were injured, one with a broken nose. Uh, but it does appear that things have calmed down, and the area of Grant Street downtown is now quiet. It's where a lot of the glitz and glamour and shopping has taken place, and it's where some of the worst vandalism and looting was. Um, so that is all done, just about. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot is getting praise now. I mean, it's interesting. Last week she was getting flack. And now for putting that uh, down relatively soon, she is the hero. Funny how tables turn sometimes like that. Uh, we have CapeCon today, as you guys know, with the Aurora Public Library. Now today, we told you about this yesterday. And remember I said that you got to check today's um, activity out at 7 p.m. Live comic book making with author and illustrator Jarrett Lerner. Uh, for comic book nerds like myself, that is something very cool to take part in. I was always partial of Todd McFarlane, but that's another story for another show. Tomorrow at 3 p.m., there's the Family Cosplay Parade, and the events end and culminate on Saturday the 15th at 10 a.m. with a live, not lost in translation, how comics create cultural connections panel discussion. Now, space for those is still available, but it is limited, and you can register at aurorapubliclibrary.org slash events. Another shout-out to our friends at Stock and Rock Around the Block. Donate items for the Batavia Interfaith Food Pantry. Daddy-O's Diner, Riverside, and Bulldog Nutrition are teaming up to stock the shelves, or rather restock their shelves due to uh, their activities during the entire pandemic. So they have been feeding people and making sure that they get fed. Um, so shout out to Daddio's Bulldog at Riverside. Very cool. Today, Peace of Art Camp is at 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. at the Peace House, 301 Fifth Street in Aurora. Uh, that is hosted by our wonderful friend of the show, Jen Ingram of Jen Ingram Art. It's free for third through 10th grade youth. And the uh, date today is not the only one. There's also the 16th, which is a Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. And then there's Friday the 21st, which will be Zoom from 6 to 8 p.m. You can sign up through Facebook at Jen Ingram Art. Very cool. Shout out to Jen Ingram. She is a definite friend of the show. 
the drive through and pick up free school supply and backpack 33rd annual at Dr. Martin Luther King Park Fun Fest will be this the uh, oh, excuse me this Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. This is hosted by Alderman Shakita Hart Burns of the 7th Ward and that's the corner of Farnsworth and Grand Boulevard. And we'd like to say don't forget the meals for older adults. There's two of these and these are very important. For seniors 60 and older you are able to get five free meals. The first is Friday, the August 22nd, 21st, excuse me, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Kane County Judicial Center in St. Charles. This is brought to us by our friends at the Kane County Sheriff's Office. Shout out Ron Hain and Kane Senior Council. Now, also, also, our elected officials in the Illinois House 83rd and 84th District, respect, respectively, Barbara Hernandez and Stephanie Kifwit have another distribution meal, which is next Monday on the 17th from 11 to 1 at the Aurora Police Department. Adults 60 years and older uh, who reside in Kane County get five free frozen meals, and they're awesome frozen meals as well. And we posted this. We will repost it to make sure that you guys get the information. Please go out there. Please sign up. And if you know of any seniors who can benefit from this, please bring them with the appropriate uh, documentation, a bill or something stating their address and an ID, and you're good to go. Socially distanced, bring your mask. All right, and with that, we are ready to get into our great interview uh, with Judge Flood. Glad to have you. Glad to be here, thank you for having me. Yep, now, uh, before we get into the questions, your dad worked at Old Second. Tell us about that when you are driving in, when you were coming in. Sure, so when I parked here, I saw the Old Second National Bank building, it brought back memories. Um, I grew up in Elgin, and um, my dad had originally been from Elgin and then moved away um, for a while. We lived in, he went into the military and then we lived um, in different suburbs of Chicago. He came back to Elgin and worked for an accounting firm. At that time, there were eight large accounting firms. It was part of the big eight. He worked for Coopers and Libran, but they had an Aurora branch. And so for 20 years, he was the manager of the Aurora branch, which was located on the second floor of the old second National Bank building in Aurora. So when we lived in Elgin, it used to take my dad 20 minutes to drive from Elgin to Aurora down Randall, way back in the day wow. when there was no stoplights. Um, and occasionally on Saturdays, we would come down and play with the office supplies um, while he did some work. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of a fun thing to see. Yeah, yeah he has a lot like of good memories there. a million lights on Randall, right? Yeah, yeah, back when it was all farmland. Yeah, it was a while wow. ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Wow. So, um, so you grew up in Elgin. Yep. Now, what was what was that like growing up in Elgin at that time? Sure. So I graduated high school in 88. Um, we, I grew up on the west side of Elgin. My dad had grown up on the east side and was a graduate of Elgin High. Um, I went to Larkin. Um, it was great. It was, I had a wonderful childhood. Um, I was lucky at that time. We lived within walking distance of Hillcrest, uh, Kimball, and Larkin. All three schools I went to, I walked every time. So now I'm one of those old people who says, I walked to school both ways. Um, <laughs> and 10 in, feet in of snow with no snow. shoes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it was in the rain and in the snow, and I remember fighting about not wearing raincoats and things. But um, I, And I just I got a great education. I still have lifelong friends that live in the area. Um, it was a great place to be. Um, what's your educational background? After high school? Yeah, after high school. Yeah, so I went down. I stayed um, local. I went down to University of Illinois, and I studied finance. Since my dad was an accountant, um, one of his goals for his children is that we be financially independent from him. So um, I always loved reading and philosophy, and he said, 
well, I think you should study business because <laughs> um, if nothing else, you'll be able to get a job. Right. So um, I was a finance major. I didn't, I didn't have a great passion for business or for finance. I still took a ton of philosophy, um, but I didn't want to do something that was only theoretical. I didn't want to just be the professor in the room thinking and thinking and thinking and never applying it. So I looked at a million different things, but I finally, based on my skills and based on my passion, um, and I kind of sat there in college, you have a lot of time to think, and I kept thinking, if I'm going to do something for 40 hours a week for the rest of my life, I wanted it to be something that would help someone besides just me. Um, so I kind of started looking around and focused on law school and specifically being a prosecutor. Um, so I took the LSAT and applied to law schools. and it's um the Oh my gosh, what is it? It's, it's like the Lawyer SAT, test. but for law school. <laughs> okay. I can't remember what it stands for now. L-S-A-T. Yeah. Um, Homework for everybody. Law school, <laughs> aptitude, I don't know what. It's like um, yeah. Okay. You have to turn in your grade point average and your LSAT score for a lot of law schools in order to be admitted. Okay. Um, and so I ended up staying down at the University of Illinois for law school. Uh, it was a huge help because in-state tuition, I was able to... Um, to use some of the contacts I'd had because I worked all the way through undergrad, so then I could keep my employment, and I paid for my own law school and worked my way through. Very cool. Um, seems like your dad was a profound impact in your life. What impact was he in your, in your My life? dad was the kind of the traditional, more strict disciplinarian. Um, he's not always touchy-feely. Um, but what he taught me, he, he has a very strong moral compass. Um, one of the biggest things my dad taught his kids is um, do what you say you're going to do. You know, tell the truth. Um, if you say you're going to do something, then you need to do it. Um, he was the dad that taught me how to change a tire, how to balance a checkbook, um, and, and he believed in hard work. So I think he really instilled in all of us that we needed to work for what we were going to do. He wanted his kids to go out and to do something and to work hard. Um, he didn't tolerate fools. He didn't tolerate laziness. Um, but I really respect him, and, and you know, even as a teenager, as you rebel against your parents, and then as an adult, you come to appreciate them. <laughs> and uh, I'm one of those. I, it's it's stereotypical, but it's true. And you look back, right, and you're thinking like, right, I thought I knew it all at 17. What the hell? And I have a 16-year-old now, and so right. some, I remember my dad agonizing over decisions when he would tell me I couldn't do something, and now I totally get it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I always knew that he was thinking about it, and I think that was the important thing. Um, Kane County encompasses a lot of different cities. So it's Elgin, Batavia, St. Charles. Yep. Carpentersville. Aurora, Carpentersville. Dundee. Dundee. And all are parts Geneva, of Aurora. And uh, I think most of Aurora. Okay. Or at least parts of Aurora. Okay. So yep. to be a circuit court judge, mm -hmm. you have jurisdiction in all of those or over all cities. How does it work? Yeah. So there's um, the court system is divided into circuits, okay. but right now the 16th circuit where I serve is the same as the borders of Kane County. Okay. A few years ago it used to be Kane, Kendall, and DeKalb, but as the population grew, the circuits split. So now Kendall and DeKalb are the 23rd circuit and Kane County is the 16th circuit. I've always worked in the 16th circuit, but at one time it used to be larger, mm -hmm. and then it was about five or six-ish years ago that it split. What made you want to be a prosecutor as opposed to a defense attorney? Sure. So I actually thought about that. Um, what I liked, what drew me to the prosecutor's office is, and, and this was somewhat naive, um, but I always felt that when, as a private attorney, and, and it is somewhat true, you are ethically obligated to be the mouthpiece for your client. 
So you do not get to choose what argument you're going to make. You are supposed to be making the argument that is in your client's best interest. Right. And you are ethically obligated to do that, whether you believe in it or not. And there is definitely a place for that in the system. What drew me to the prosecutor's office is that you are representing all of the people of whatever district or county that you are in. And your obligation is to do the right thing on behalf of all of the people, on behalf of the victim, on behalf of the defendant, and on behalf of all of the citizens. So you have the discretion when you're making a charging decision, when you're making a decision whether to offer a plea negotiation, when you're deciding on what sentence, or even whether when you find out new information and you have the authority to dismiss a charge, you're always using your, in some ways, your own moral compass in determining what the right thing is to do. And I was very drawn to a job where your job was to try to do the right thing hmm. and having that ability to do that. Interesting. So for the for an individual who has no experience in the law or in its navigation or its terminology, its phraseology, what is the what to you is the mm -hmm. biggest misconception that people have about your position? As a judge or as a prosecutor? As a prosecutor. I think as a prosecutor, people believe that the prosecutors are racking up convictions and it's like the notch on the, you know, bad post and you're you're thinking about always trying to get the highest sentence and the most number of convictions and your that prosecutors are out to get you. Um, those the young, um, ambitious go get them type of prosecutors. And I'm not saying that there's not some of that culture at times and in places, especially with young prosecutors. I think that's why it's important to have an office that has experienced prosecutors along with the younger, um, inexperienced prosecutors, because as you go through the system, you learn that it's not important to get the convictions. It's important to have the right results. And I think the seasoned um, prosecutors are the ones that can guide the younger prosecutors into figuring out how to handle the power and authority that you have when you're so young. It's not about the conviction, it's about the right result. Right. What is that, what, people, put a little more flesh on that, what does that mean? Sure, so um, prosecutors have a ton of discretion. Um, and, and often people are hired right out of law school. Um, I was 25 when I started at the prosecutor's office, which was an immediate graduate from law school. Um, and you have the authority, even in traffic court, to offer someone a plea negotiation, to give them supervision versus arguing for a conviction. You argue for jail time at certain times. Um, and it's important to look at why someone is in court, not just trying to make sure that there's a mark on the record or that you got jail time and so that somehow means that you're tough or that you did your job. You know, you look at what is the circumstance that brought someone here? What is it causing? Was it due to a mental health condition? Is it due to a substance abuse condition? Is it due to they were having a bad day? You know, is this really a person that needs? Because the, the legal consequences to people can be long-lasting. Having a conviction on your record can, even in a traffic situation, change your insurance rates. It can have um, lasting effects if you get picked up again, and then it's, a you know, your second conviction. Um, so it's important to realize how to wield that power in a way that you're protecting the public and yet still not doing things without a reason, just, just to do it. Jamie Mosser was on the show a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, and was talking about that, about how much she appreciated those early days and understanding the system because then later it helped her make better decisions and try and find um, the right solution. So again, maybe it's not just you know the sentence, but more about the rehabilitation. Yeah, I think one of the best um, 
compliments I, already, I ever got as a young prosecutor is one of the judges said, you have a really good feel for dispositions and for mm -hmm. figuring out what the right sentence is for somebody, whether it's community service if they can't afford the fine or whether maybe they need some treatment along with um, just a regular sentence of supervision or probation. Um, it's it's kind of getting to treating people as individuals and treating the situation individually. Hmm. Um, the law... Well, first of all, for the, for the layman, what is the major difference in federal law and state law? Sure. So federal law um, is mainly based on the U.S. Constitution and statutes. So the federal courts have different jurisdiction. They're only the federal criminal laws um, apply to all states universally. So there's a federal criminal code. Mm -hmm. um, and then civilly, the federal government only has certain rights. Certain things are left to the states. So um, only certain controversies can be brought to federal court. Like if you have an, a crime that went across states that can be brought to federal court or certain lawsuits across states. States then usually have more control within their own borders. So the court that I'm in, a sta the state courts deal with only Illinois law um, and not necessarily federal law or, or um, constitutional issues as much the toughest sentence you ever handed down to someone? Sure. So I have been a judge now for uh, coming up on eight years. Um, I have, for the last five years, been in a divorce court. Mm -hmm. So the only criminal cases I've heard as a judge have been in traffic and misdemeanor court. So I think the toughest sentence I handed down to someone was four months in jail because um, so traffic and misdemeanor. A misdemeanor is something that you can go to jail for less than a year. And realistically, if someone is sentenced to a year in jail, you get day-to-day -day credit. So really the most we're senten sentencing someone to is six months. Right. Um, and it was for someone who had repeated violations of um, the gang the gang contact statute. It was mm -hmm. like his mm -hmm. fifth violation or something. And so you kind of try to ratchet up the consequences each time someone violates. And I think I gave a four-month sentence for that one. Wow which is still apparently somewhat lenient for what could be called career criminal activity, I guess. It's hard because the um, gang con contact statute, what he was before me for was not committing a crime. It was for violating the terms of a, a gang contract where he had been ordered not to be around another gang member. Gotcha. So okay. even though he was okay. just with someone else, that's the actual act he was in front of me for. Not for committing a crime with another gang member, just for being with that person in violation of a court order. That was really cool. See that? You see what you learn when you ask questions, right? It's not the crime. You're just there because he was a violation of the contact order. The law is interesting it when is. you're a person. I So I was at the, um, well, first of all, the time is now 8.24 a.m., and you're listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. We're sitting down with Circuit Court Judge Kane County, Elizabeth Flood. That's yes. a mouthful for you, but it we got is. it. We got it. <laughs> kind of got it polished now. Yeah. Um, so I was at the—let me give you a, a frustration. Yeah. Not of my own, but for a lot of people in the community. I was at the review and recommendation settings sessions that took place at City Hall in Aurora. Uh, the city of Aurora and the Aurora Police Department came together and provided these listening sessions a month long for people to voice their opinions and give recommendations of what they thought uh, in regards to Aurora PD policy. Sure. Um, 
so the Aurora PD produced lists of certain things like chokeholds or whatnot, and they showed federal law highlighted in red, state law highlighted in blue, and Aurora PD's best practices were in green. So, for example, ILCS 7-whatever it was mm -hmm. said that a police officer can use any force they determine they need to use to make the arrest. And it also said something like a point, whatever it was, they can use whatever force they need to use to protect themselves and their partners in deadly force situations. Sure. Chokeholds. An officer can only use force described in ILCS-7, whatever. And, but you go back to that, and that's the one that says he can use whatever force is necessary. For a lot of people, the laws seem to insult their intelligence almost. The, the three-card Monty of the this and that. Can you see how that could be frustrating for people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why is the law like that? Can you fix it? What can you do to fix it? Elizabeth Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think the important distinction and what can be frustrating, you know, for anybody that works in the system is that um, prosecutors and judges don't make the law. Right, of course. They just operate under the law. Um, so, but one thing that does happen over time is that the legislature is passing the law. There are political, there's a political environment where one issue becomes a hot button topic then something else becomes a hot-button topic, and the legislature scrambles to address whatever the hot topic is at that time. And I don't mean hot topic lightly, but in the 90s, per se, per se during the time I was in the prosecutor's office, there was the war on drugs. Right. And drug laws became much more, um, had much higher penalties. And then we've had gun control, and, and gun laws had higher penalties if you commit a crime with a gun. Um, like sexual predators were in the like news, that, yeah. and so all of a sudden there were a lot of new laws passed if you were um, convicted of um, being a sexual predator. But then the laws, the, la the laws of giant patchwork. So you have one law. Then they patch on something on top of it to address one issue. Then 10 years later, they patch on something else to address another issue. Then something else gets built upon it. And there could be something addressing that issue in three different parts of the statute. And you have to put them all together to make sense of it. And unfortunately, they've never done a comprehensive rewrite. And uh, um, it's very rare for laws to get repealed. So it just kind of keeps building on itself. It can be right. confusing. Sure. It can seem, I don't think anyone's trying to create a shell game, um, but I think it's hap It's just the, the natural way that it evolves. Yeah, and yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I would, I do, I do not mean to suggest that literally, um, you know, judges and those responsible for are deliberately saying, you know what, let's fool them with this. No, not at I all. Know. And you I can know. tell that it is a patchwork of things that are probably not relevant anymore. Like you take the gun control issue. I mean, you know, the makers of the musket. I know. Didn't yeah. think that we'd have Gatling guns. Right. Um, and some automatic weapons. Exactly. And, yeah. and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I understand that. Uh, I think that for the general public, though, what they don't understand is that aspect of making the laws. And a lot of times they just feel like some of the old things should be... Uh, Repealed. Uh, yeah, repealed. Yep. To make way for what are now new times and new things going on. I agree. You know, uh, the frustration I had was with the, the, like, the chokeholds. I mean, why wouldn't, if you're an officer, why would you want to be choking a guy? Why wouldn't you want to just bag him, tag him, throw him in the paddy wagon? Like, what, 
you know. But um, I do understand having a uncle who was a, a police officer who's now passed away that, uh, you know, what they're operating under the law. I think the hardest thing is that you can almost never write a law that's going to apply to every single factual situation that can occur in the future. Wow. So you might think to yourself, well, we want police officers to have um, whatever they need at their disposal because they're in very dangerous situations that are constantly changing, dealing with people that may have mental health issues, that may be high on drugs, that may have weapons themselves, and we don't want to limit the way that they can defend themselves. But then it evolves into are they then using... Um, force that we then later think is actually not appropriate for the situation. Right. Um, so I think that that's the hardest part of the law is that you have laws that are written for a certain situation, <clears throat> intending to address a certain um, factual scenario, and then something else comes out of left field later, and when you apply it to that, it doesn't do what you thought it was going to do. Sure. And that's why you need prosecutors and judges to try to make sense of it and to try to figure out what the best thing is to do with all the facts in front of them. What's your favorite What's your favorite law drama show, like movie? So when and is I, it anything like real life? Like yeah. <laughs> so when I was in law school, I was addicted to Law and Order. Yeah, um, shout out. That's I will you. say that um, after being a prosecutor for quite a while, I stopped watching most really? of the legal shows um, because they're not. I would get frustrated because they're not realistic, and also because I saw so much of it in my regular life, I kind of went more to fiction and more other life lessons. Get away from in my, Yeah, that. I don't need more of that necessarily yeah. in my off time. On Law & Order, they solved the whole case in 30 minutes, too. I like, know. it's done. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn, they're good. They're handing the judge motions on the courthouse steps. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, dun-dun. That was like the, yeah. When that music went off, I was there. Mm -hmm. What is an arraignment? Sure. So an arraignment is for uh, the formal process of telling someone what the charges are against them and what the possible penalties are. Um, so it's supposed to inform them um, so that they understand what's really going on. Of course, you know, people are in court and they're extremely nervous and it's legalese. And um, so we want to make sure that people are informed. I, I think that they're probably more informed after they talk to their attorney and kind of debrief uh, after an arraignment. But it is the formal procedure to make sure people are officially told what's what's occurring and what their rights are i think we need to speak to a public defender at some time on this show but what is the difference between a public defender mm -hmm. and an attorney well they are attorneys right so they, in a they, way nothing they are yeah yeah <laughs> but um the public defenders there was a case and i'm I'm terrible at this. I'm one of those people that does not remember case names. It was a very famous case. I should remember it. Um, where they determined that it was not fair for people to have to go through court. It was a constitutional right to have an attorney. It's not fair to have to go through these this process without having someone explain all this legalese and tell you what your rights are and what not not just what the words are, but what does that really mean? You mean America was having people go through the court procedure with no lawyers at one point in time? So, um, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think it was only in the 60s or something that the public defender, that the U.S. Supreme Court came down and said it was your constitutional right to have an attorney. Oh so along my with that, so God. if it's a constitutional right, then we've got to fund it. So the public defender's office is paid for by taxpayers. Right. So that the, the so that their ethical obligation is to defend each and every one of their clients individually. Right. So they're not just, you know, attorneys mm -hmm. out there doing anything, but they're attorneys representing people that are charged with crimes that couldn't otherwise afford an attorney. It's a very important position. 
What resources are available in the community for people, let's say, again, they don't understand the law, they can't afford an attorney, maybe English isn't their primary language? Yeah. So um, we're lucky that we have a couple of different um, offices that offer free or lower-cost legal services. Administer Justice and Prairie State Legal Services are both in the area that are able to help, not just, obviously, if you have a criminal case, you're going to be um, looking for the public defender's office, but there are many people that are facing rent situations. I sit in divorce court, um, facing divorce situations that don't understand, and, and the law is fairly complicated. Um, so you can go to those places when you have something that's not, when you're not charged with a criminal case and you just need legal advice. Um, victims of domestic violence that are looking for orders of protection. And then we're also very lucky at the Judicial Center, our um, law library is also a self-help legal center. In fact, our law librarian, Hallie Cox, was just reappointed by the Illinois Supreme Court to um, help self-represented litigants, people that are representing themselves in court. And so you can go in the Judicial Center right down to our law library, and they have a ton of legal resources and forms um, available for people who are trying to work their way through the system. And then I try, um, for the people that step in front of me, to explain things in English, not in legal ease, to give them as much guidance as I can. I can't give them legal advice, but I can explain what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, why the, why the steps have to be the way that they are, tell them where the forms are. So you need judges that are willing to take it down a notch as well or just make them. it a little bit more yeah. understandable. Now, were you at the Fox Valley Marines? Go I was. Yeah, Yesterday. Yeah, shout fantastic. out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, you're a golf player, fan? I huh? am not really a golf player. My family played a little bit of golf mm -hmm. when I was growing up. I find it to be extremely frustrating. It is not relaxing for <laughs> me. Um, but it was such a great organization because it was a couple of things that you mentioned when you were starting the show. It was not only um, supporting the military, but also supporting the local food pantry. So right. I just thought it was a great event to get involved in. So we sponsored the event. Um, now you're a member of the Kane County Bar Association? I am. As well? Yes. Very yes. cool. See, we do, we do our homework on Good Morning Aurora. <laughs> what other community organizations are you involved in? So um, as a judge, we can't be um, on boards as such. It's a little bit tricky because mm -hmm. we have to stay away from being involved in anything that any organization who could have a lawsuit brought in front of us. Ethics. But I've been involved in um, 100 Women Who Make a Difference in St. Charles, which is an organization that gets together to raise money, and then we vote every month on a different organization to give the money to. Um, I try to get my kids involved. My parents were really s strong community members, so we go to food pantries and volunteer. My daughter is a regular volunteer at um, uh, Food for Health, Fox Valley Food for Health. Um, we've, pa we've packaged foods for our local um, shelter, Lazarus House. And so we try to always get involved in supporting um, the organizations. I go, My husband and I go to a ton of events and just try to make our presence known and, and bring a little bit of light to all of the different organizations that I see in the court system because every single day I see people in front of me who are using our homeless shelters, who need help, assistance from um, Administer Justice or Prairie State, who are using the food pantries, who need mental health services. And we have so many good community organizations that support our community. Um, it's really important to, to try to support them. So the elections are November 3rd. Yes. Yes. Why should the residents of Kane County vote flood? Sure. So um, the most important reason that I'm asking people to vote for me is because this is a job 
that I've worked at for 25 years. Um, I, I have never chosen to do anything but work in our court system in King County on behalf of the citizens of King County trying to do the right thing. It's what I'm passionate about. I didn't go into this for the money. It's always been public service. I didn't seek to be a judge um, because of the prestige of the position. I, I sought to be a judge after someone recommended to me that they thought I would be good in the position and I started thinking about it and when I thought about what the role of judge is, it's the same. It's the same thing. You're, you're going into the courtroom every single day trying to find the best solution for the people in front of me and that's what has always driven me. So I'm going to go in every single day and use all of my 25 years of experience of being a prosecutor. I spent 10 years in the civil division of the state's attorney's office defending clients in state, federal, and appellate court so I know how to defend a case and what it's like to believe that your client is being accused of something unjustly. Um, I have worked in the family division. I have my own children and my own family. I have a finance degree. So in the family division, I use my math skills and my mothering skills and my common sense. And every day I'm going to go in and use all of that experience and just try to find the right solution um, for the people of Kane County. And I will keep doing that every single day. Um, there are only four there have only ever been historically in Kane County out of the hundreds of circuit judges that have ever served there have only been four women it's been hard for women to break through first as associate judges and then as circuit judges and I'm only the fourth person to ever be appointed by the Supreme Court to be a circuit judge in Kane County so I'm very proud of that they they appointed me because of my experience and because of my ratings by the Bar Association how could there only be four women is that uh, women are applying to be judges over all that time? How could there have only been four women? So when I was applying to be an associate judge eight years ago, um, there had only been, I think, three or four women who had been judges. And for a long time, uh, so the way that people become associate judges is you have to apply with the circuit judges. All of the circuit judges were men. So I w when I applied, I was applying um, to 16 different circuit judges. When I applied, there were 13 men and three women at the time. That was our highest ever is we had three out of 16 circuit judges. And they're kind of the decision makers. Um, and I, I will say it. Some people said you don't look like a judge. Some people said you seem too young, even though there were men my age who had been uh, appointed to be a circuit judge. I was asked who would watch my children if I got this job. Um, I, I had heard tale, and I don't think that it, I don't think that people didn't like women. I think that it just, they, their mind wasn't wrapped around, how will this work? Is this the right person? People questioned, will you be able to um, command a courtroom and handle anything that happens in a courtroom? Because they're looking at a petite, youngish-looking woman sitting in front of them, thinking, well, when things get out of hand, how will she handle that? Yeah, like world's wildest videos. The guy starts throwing a chair and all that. Yeah. And yeah. It's, uh, Courtrooms are emotional places. They and, are. And people, um, very important decisions are made, whether people go to jail, whether someone's children are taken away from them, whether you're granting an order of protection, whether you're giving, handing over a fine that they feel is unfair. Um, people are going to be upset by your decisions every single day, and you do have to know how to handle it and how to handle them. Um, I think that there were some, I don't know if I'd say valid questions, but um, I think that they were questions that people had, and then until you see someone doing the job, maybe you just wonder how it will work. Um, so I think it's taken a while for women to move up and to prove that we're going to show up every day. We're not going to call in sick because our kids are sick. We're not going to, you know, run out of the room with our hands up when something bad happens. We're not going to cry. Right. Um, that we can handle the job the same way as anyone else. I'm going to give you 20 years. Yeah. Is that okay with you, sir? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what, what advice would you give young women looking to rise up within law? 
So I saw a sign. I was just kind of walking around with my daughter a couple weeks ago, and I saw a sign that I probably should have bought in a store window, um, and it said, work for it more than you wish for it. Ooh. And I thought, I think that that's actually been kind of my philosophy. Mm -hmm. I think my parents taught us that, is um, as much as you want for something to happen. Like when I was applying to be a judge, it took me five years. I think I applied 10 or 12 different times. Every time I had to go around and interview to 16 people, it could be disheartening. It could be emotional. It was exhausting. Um, it made me question myself. Um, but I think that just keep going and just keep working at it. Don't take things personally. Um, try to rise above it and believe in yourself even when you don't feel like it. Um, and treat people well because no matter what industry you're in, no matter what segment of the job industry you're in, you will keep seeing the same people over and over and over throughout your career. You don't realize that when you're young, but you will. Mm -hmm. um, so you always have to be the bigger person. You always have to try to rise above and just keep working really hard for what you want. Um, in your career, the last eight years as a judge, yeah. what was the toughest day for you? Um, I've had a lot of hard days. I, I would tell you that um, I didn't expect being a judge how, I guess, first of all, how physically demanding it can be. Um, when I was in traffic court, I would have up to 400 cases a morning. And so I kind of trained myself to get through the call without taking a break. Um, you have to treat the first person that steps in front of you, the last person the same as you treated the first person. So it takes a ton of self-control. And it c there were days that I wanted to walk into the door at the end of the day and just like fall flat on our front rug and just lay face down for a while. Um, but the actual hardest ones are um, the emotional cases dealing with children. So I'm in divorce court, and um, it doesn't always come down to one day, but when you have to make a decision of custody, and it's not called custody anymore, but who is going to get the majority of time with the child? Of course, every single parent, that's going to be, it would be for me. It's the most important decision of your life. Um, two people have had a child. They've decided to live in separate households. They have separate lives, and I have to decide if they can't together how the child is going to spend time between them and delivering, you know, making that determination and then delivering the ruling to people who you know are going to be disappointed. I think that that's, that can be some of the hardest times. Um, only four women judges over the history that you detailed. Circuit judges. Circuit judges, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, we've got judges. eight female associates, but um, right now only one circuit, but how, four in the history. How many uh, have been are African-American or people of color? Sir, so um, we had one circuit judge, Judge Brown, mm -hmm. who retired. So, gosh, I can't remember when he – and he was actually the person that um, told, uh, told me that I should apply to be an associate judge. So he was a person of color. We have currently four Hispanic – or judges with Hispanic descent. Mm -hmm. um, two are circuits and two are associates. And we have one Indian judge, um, Judge Sarang, currently. And we just appointed um, Judge Reggie Campbell, who is another associate judge, and he started in January. Very so cool. not, in a way, not a ton. In a way, a lately, yeah. it's getting yeah. much better. Yeah. So I think for a while, I think that the same barriers maybe that I don't think that anyone necessarily felt we don't want judges of a certain type. I don't think anyone was thinking we don't want women judges, we don't want Hispanic judges, we don't want judges of color. I think what they were doing is they were looking at it through a narrow lens. We want people with this type of background who have had this type of experience and this number of years of experience of this type. And then it was like a self-selecting group that everyone was kind of the same. you know. And, and it's also a little bit human, so who you have contacts with, who you have relationships with. 
I think a very interesting moment. Um, so two things. I'd I'd been to court before, and uh, when you're the first person in court, like everybody else is, like the pressure's on you to like be cool and don't piss the judge off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> don't <laughs> screw it up for the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Like yo, man, go in there, be cool, dog, be cool. Like how you doing, Your Honor? How you doing? How you doing? Um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think that. Well, let me start over. We live in an interesting time in America. Yeah. I do think that a lot of the uh, a lot of the social lines that had been there that brought so many Americans together, I think we find out now in 2020, they actually weren't that profound. Mm-hmm. They were very flimsy, very shaky to begin with. And I do think that law enforcement, the law and its application is at the heart of all that. A lot of people have felt that the law simply is not on their side based on perhaps their skin color, where they live, their income level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like yourself, Jamie Mosser, Ron Hain, and a few others are changing that narrative in Kane County. Is it wrong to suggest that Kane County was more, and, and perhaps law enforcement in general, was more just slam them, charge them, throw away the key? It, that seems to have been the perception. Is that wrong? Um, a little. So I would say that I think law enforcement in general and the legal system, because I've been in, in it in twenty. Right, I don't mean to King ask County. you about law enforcement questions. I know you're not a police officer, but No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a perception, like I said, in the 90s, there was the war on drugs. And there was a little bit more of a perception of getting um, convictions. And then there were these automatic prison sentences. And maybe it felt like, I think the hard thing about law is it's hard to know when you're accomplishing something. It takes years to figure out if you're actually changing someone's life or someone's going to come back and reoffend. So I think everyone wants to feel like they're accomplishing something in their job and that they're actually doing some good. And I think for a while, there was a, a feeling with the mandatory minimum sentences that were coming down that if you were getting these convictions, if you were proving the case for the officers and then there was these automatic convictions that you were accomplishing something, that you were actually putting away these people that were doing something wrong. Well, I think everyone is starting to figure out that that's not the way that you change society and that's not the way you're going to change somebody's life for the better. So now we've got specialty courts. We're doing more treatment. It's not sending someone to jail and giving them a felony conviction that stays on forever. It's trying to address the root cause. That's happened over time, I think, for the entire judicial system. Mm -hmm. I think what's nice is that among many of the colleagues that I have right now who are around my age or so, um, everyone's talking about, we always thought if you treat everybody the same, if if, if there's a $200 traffic fine for this type of ticket, you give everybody $200. That's being fair. Justice is blind. Well, now we're realizing $200 for somebody that makes $20,000 a year has a much different impact than $200 for someone making right. $150,000 mm-hmm. a year. Right. And I think the judges that are in the system right now are, are becoming more aware of that, and it's just a different... It's not changing the law. It's a different way to look at applying the law. Um, but again, that's very subjective. So you, you think that being objective and, and handing down the same sentence is going to be what's fair. And so maybe that's not actually fair, but then how do you do it in a way that doesn't seem like you're cherry-picking one person to be harsher or more lenient for um, so it's kind of just thinking through all of those solutions, which is actually what makes law interesting. Um, but really? Talk a little more about that. What, put a little, 
give me give me some more. Give me some more of that. What makes law interesting? Oh gosh. So I go out a lot of times in the community and talk to people and try to explain the types of decisions that judges make. Um, and we give different scenarios and tell them how in this fact scenario, what do you think this crime is and what kind of sentence do you think it would get? One of these um, examples is a person is driving drunk and they hit someone and kill them. And what do you think that is? Some people think it's murder, um, the most serious class X felony or class S felony. Um, some people say it's a traffic offense, most people not because someone died. Uh, the reality is it's an aggravated DUI it's punishable by three to 14 years in the Department of Corrections. Damn. You can also get probation for it. And somebody said to me one time, well, somebody died. Why don't they just get 14 years? So then I said to them this. These are some of the hardest cases that can come through the court system. Say you've got, just for example, um, a mother who has two young children. She finds out she has a cancer diagnosis. She goes over uh, to book club, and she ends up having a couple because she's freaking out. And she's driving home, model citizen, never been arrested before. And she's the person that gets in this accident. Compare that to the person who's had three prior DUIs, who's been given a chance, who's gone through treatment, who's been told before that you can't drive drunk, and that's the person involved in the accident. And tonight, you know, he's where in do you come down on that pack, sentencing yeah. range? So, it's the law is interesting because you're constantly dealing every single day with trying to figure out what is the logical and just and right solution to all of these individual layered nuanced situations that's what i like about it mm -hmm. i guess that was my philosophy brain that i liked looking at really complicated issues all of these giant big thought processes and problems and then you really come down to once you spend some time and effort on it what is the essence what is it we're trying to do here and why does that how can you fit that with the law to come up with something that's practical and that's going to work the time is now 8.51 a.m., and you are listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And we're woke. Boy, we're getting, we're getting <laughs> the law in here today. This is, that's interesting. So pro, it could be probation. It could but be it probation. But it could be 14 years. Yeah. See, that's shit. Oh the hardest God. thing is those, I mean, cases like that where, I mean, I think in, in society we normally <clears throat> think of the – the worse your behavior, the worse the punishment. That's an American thing, it seems like. Uh, and and yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's a very practical, like, that. that's so logical to people. But um, in situations like this, you can have behavior that's either the same or, like, the split-second behavior. We go out and talk to kids in high schools. You can make that decision in 30 seconds if you're getting behind the wheel drunk. And it could change. And it life. could have lifelong consequences for you and untold numbers of other people if you get in an accident and someone is injured or killed. And that's the part that is so difficult to deal with is the, the very harsh consequences of behavior that maybe at the outset didn't seem that that bad at the time. You know, that's what's that's where you've got to reconcile what's the best way to handle it. Has the war on drugs failed? In the sense of what it, I think it was intended in the 90s, probably. Um... I don't think that just the um, reaction, and I wasn't involved in any of it. I wasn't on the legislature. I was a young prosecutor. Right, right. Um, but the These reaction questions of, are not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Um, but, I mean, I think that the what I saw of it, which was the we're just going to put everybody in prison, that did not, I mean, look around, that didn't stop drugs from being out there. Right. 
Um, so in that sense, yes, it didn't it didn't seem to stop the supply lines. It didn't seem to stop people's desire to try drugs. It didn't seem to stop people from making money off of selling drugs. Um, it maybe gave some awareness to. I mean, I know I know that when I I try to pass on to my children um, that you you can try certain drugs and then you may not you may be addicted to them immediately. There, I think it it helped with some awareness of how dangerous they can be. Mm-hmm. But as far as actually stopping the offenders only by putting them in jail, that was a failure. So you um, born and raised in Elgin, and you're an Elgin resident now, correct? I was born and raised in Elgin. I live in St. Charles. You live in St. Charles, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, And work for you as the courthouse, the Kane County Judicial Center? Yes. Nice. Yeah, I've worked in every courthouse. I've worked in the Elgin Branch Court. I worked in the Aurora Branch Court. I worked my first two years with, was at the Kane Branch Court, which is the old Montgomery War Building in St. Charles. Um, when I was in the Civil Division, I was at the old courthouse in Geneva, but most of my time as a judge now has been at the Judicial Center. Best place to eat in St. Charles? Oh, my gosh. Um, anywhere over it. So now they created, with the outdoor seating, the new First Street Corridor. So there's a lot of good restaurants over there. For Italian, I like Giamia. For um, we like I like uh, La Mesa for Mexican, mm-hmm. so lots okay. of good places to eat. All right, Gia Mia. Yes. Okay, holla at that. I was just over there last weekend. It was yeah, this, yeah fantastic. Beautiful. Oh, you were in Geneva too. Checking out their downtown. You didn't tell your boy to co-host. That you was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, this is uh, we like to eat on the show. And you're a runner. I'm when a do runner. You, when do you find time for that? <laughs> Runnering has always been my stress relief. So I actually started in, uh, at it around age 16 when I was having some conflicts with my dad, which is when you have conflicts with your parents. Um, and I remember just being like, Ugh, and I would just, I just went out the door and ran. And at the time, like my squishy Reeboks, because that was like the thing that we wore. Um, <laughs> and it got me through college and through law school and as a prosecutor, like it just... I can't always say I even always am thinking. I, when I swim laps is actually when I come up with better thoughts. When I'm running, I'm too usually tired, but it, it, I can't think of anything else because of the physical um, activity, and so it's kind of good. It, it forces me out of my head. I'm, I'm one of those people that's very in my head, so running forces me out of my head. Do you do marathons? Try so it? I do a half. I did okay. one marathon, Okay. Um, and I was kind of some people finish a marathon and they're like, well, that was so great. I'll sign up for another one. I was like, check that off the list. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> That's like the part that I did was that. a half. <laughs> it was a little too long. At w- the weeks that I had to run 16 mm-hmm. miles to practice all week, I would be like, I have to run 16 miles on Saturday. I have to run. Like, I just dreaded it. So I figured that was not for me. Yeah. Um, so now I, I'm this year I was supposed to do my 10th half marathon. You get a streak now with the Fox Valley Marathon, so I've been trying to keep my streak, and I thought after 10, maybe I'd quit. So now I have to do it virtually. So, ugh. Um, Hopefully I'll get there. Last two questions. Uh, your dad is a veteran, correct? He is. Yes. Yeah, he was in the Air Force. Oh, Air Force. Yeah. Wow. I was born in Biloxi Air Force Base in Mississippi. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Did that now... How long were you there? Did you guys? Did you? Oh yeah. So I was born. Um, my I'm a twin. My sister okay. and I were born uh, six weeks premature. I think that my dad was done with the Air Force when we were just a few months old. Okay. So we were not there. I was not there all that long. Probably okay. six months or so. Wow. Um, and then we moved up to Wisconsin, and then my parents lived in Canada for a little while, and then back in Elk Grove, and then Elgin. Wow. What a <laughs> what a trip. <laughs> yeah, it's, unfortunately, I don't remember any of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, last question. What does What is America to you? 
Sure. Um, I think what the best thing is about America is that it, I, I hope and believe it's still a place that everyone has a voice. Um, so again, you were talking about voting. Everyone has an equal voice at the ballot. You can have people that, so my, my parents were both the first people in their families to go to college. Um, their families had been here for a while, but they were the first people to go, go to college. It's still a place that everyone comes in. There's not a, cla- a specific class system. There's not a, and I don't know how to say it, caste or caste system. Mm-hmm. You can literally go from any beginning to any end. True. And I think that that's the best thing. And there are different voices. It sometimes feels like everyone's voices are not heard equally. But I hope that we're getting there. And I think that there are still places in America, like at the ballot box, where everyone isn't equal and everyone's voice can be heard. And I think we have these First Amendment rights that are so important. You can criticize the government. You can criticize the military if you want. You can criticize a, a government position that you don't like. And that's protected. Yeah. And that's a huge thing. You can't do that in Sudan. Yeah, Shout just that we have these basic yeah. rights that we're able to discuss and debate, and we amend our laws, and right. we just always keep trying to move it forward and get better. I think that's the yeah. best thing about the U.S. But you right. have to get out there and vote and exercise that right. You do, you do. whether it's in person, by mail, early voting, absentee, whatever it is. Now it's a, it's a state holiday, so there's lots of ways to get out there. Right. Um, so before we end, I want to just say that one of the, what I what I really appreciate about yourself and your position is that, you know, uh, you, Miss Monster, I'm seeing so many new I say new people coming up for elections and on ballots, things like that in our uh, court system, in the judicial uh, system. And it really gives me hope because, I mean, you're at the Fox Valley Marines, you're out doing things in the community. And for a person of your position to be so approachable and working with the everyday people in your in your in in life, you know, so not your job. That's not your job, but you're actually doing that still. Like you're you're mirroring what needs to be shown in the legal profession or the judicial profession and in life. And that gives me and a lot of like young brothers of my caliber hope because for too long perhaps we have perhaps we've just had the wrong idea but for too long it has seemed or had the it, it's looked like um old white men and their desire to slam them tam of bag them and and bag them and tag them has just been the default court system and procedure it really, really, really feels good to see people who are adding a human, basic, decency touch to things like, damn, Ken Smith here with four grams of cocaine, $200,000 a year, 250 bucks is nothing for him. Juan Reyes from Pilsen, you know, 19 years old, 250 bucks. You know, he's here in court. He's supposed to be at work. That's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. That really gives people like me hope that the system is changing. I think it's changing for the better. There's in so many ways with bond reform and with yep. specialty courts and treatment being more of an option. I think that um, that there is, you know, kind of a new generation coming through. There and is, New yep. studies huh. coming out. And, um, I mean, honestly, thank you for thinking that I'm doing great by reaching out, but um, my mentor, who actually was a, 
a prosecutor and then a judge in Champaign County. She was just a woman that I respected and admired so much. She recently retired, and her take on this job was, the job is important, I am not. And I, frankly, I think that that's how I look at it. It's an important job. It's not me specifically, though. It's, um, it's, it's a responsibility. It's an authority, but it's something that um, you just have to take seriously every day and just do your best at. But it's not that I'm in this exalted position. It's just I'm me trying to do the right thing in a job. And with that, that was powerful, right? <laughs> See, this is the good thing about the show. You know when to shut up, right? right? Damn, that was very powerful. Um, we appreciate, yeah, exactly. That was a mic drop. Um, Judge Floyd, we appreciate Judge Flood. We appreciate you coming on to the show today. I appreciate really being do. here. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Yeah, this it's was so a great. Nice this was a great you. conversation. A great learning experience for us. It really was. Um, so the time is now 9.02 a.m. You have been listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast, and we've been pleased to have Judge Elizabeth Flood on the show. Um, November 3rd is coming up quicker than you know. COVID took a lot of months from us. We were in PJ sipping Cabernet for months, so maybe that was just in my house. So uh, <laughs> here we are back to reality. But please, 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 we've told you millions of times before, exercise your right to vote you got to do it it's your duty from us at the show we'd like to say thank you to our listeners our uh, subscribers and our friends and supporters and we're always here for you bringing you the best news daily and with that we are oh wait no 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 no. we almost forgot give the people something we like to end the show on a positive sure. note what should the people be taking with them going into today um about me specifically so if you want to learn more about me yeah. Um, you can look up. I have a website. It's www.judgeflood.com. Okay. Um, I'm on Facebook at uh, Judge Elizabeth Flood. Um, I think the most important thing that I'd ask people to look at when you're researching judges, it's really important to look at their qualifications and their experience. The attorneys get a chance to rate us anonymously and say whatever they want about us, and I'm um, very proud to be one of the highest-rated judges, and I think that that's just based on how hard I work at it. Um, so I would ask people to look at the um, Illinois State and Kane County Bar Poll results on the judicial candidates. There you go. There you go. All right. And with that, we hope that you have a wonderful, safe, blessed, motivated, powerful, and strong day. And we're out. See you guys tomorrow morning.